We live in a world of dynamic cyber threats, but one thing is clear, human behavior is the most vulnerable target for attacks. Welcome to Behave by CyberSafe, the foremost cybersecurity podcast focused on human cyber risk. Organizational awareness is no longer enough, so how will your team stay protected? Be sure to subscribe to Behave on your preferred listening app for cutting edge insights into our evolving industry and stay ahead of the shift to security behaviors and human risk quantification. Enjoy the episode. Hello, we're here again, another epic episode of the Behave podcast incoming. This one is a first for me, and now apparently I'm a seasoned podcast host, or not. The team felt it would be hilarious to see how I do with two guests on today's episode. Joke's on them though, because I am so ready for this. I'm personally really excited about this one as I'm joined by two absolute forces in the industry. We have the formidable duo of Linda Morgan and Louise Coburn from Quilter. Quilter is formerly known as Old Mutual Wealth. It's a British multinational wealth management company, and it's here that Louise and Linda are information security, awareness, and culture managers. They have numerous years of experience behind them and are running a program that is really trying to double down on meaningful metrics to impact and positively influence behavior change. Linda, Louise, thanks for joining me today. It's great to have you on. Hello. Hello. It's becoming a bit of a tradition now that we start off with the icebreaker question. Obviously, I am a huge pizza fan, and we're now, like I say, getting a, a really good understanding into people who work in this industry and what pizzas they love. So my first question, Linda, I'll start with you, is you, you're ordering pizza. You can choose four toppings, excluding, obviously, cheese and tomato base. What are you having? I do like a bit of spice, a bit of horn spicy girl. So a bit of pepperoni, onion, jalapenos, peppers for me. Spicy. I like it. Well, hot sauce as well? Maybe a little bit. A bit of a bit of hot sauce, yeah. Amazing. Louise? I would have said meat feast, and I do like a meaty pizza, but I've lately got onto these artichoke mushroom prosciutto, uh, prosciutto ones. Highly recommend. How did that kind of, how do you switch cheap pizza favoritism? Does it kind of. <laughs> well, I think it, it's just a case of what was available in Sainsbury's one time, but um, yeah, <laughs> it's a happy, happy thing that's happened there. Amazing. I was talking to Leanne, who was on the episode a couple of weeks ago. I love her tradition of uh, she watches uh, her, the first Home Alone and orders a large margarita pizza. So little Christmas tradition. Which, uh, <laughs> love it. I absolutely loved. Okay, now um, the pizza choices are obviously out of the way. We can get into the main part and the thing that people are really here for. Linda, I, I know that you've had a, a long career at Quilter and all of the various names that it's had before that I looked up when uh, I was doing, kind of researching for this episode. Why did you choose the people side of cyber? And was there a particular thing that grabbed your attention and made you go, you know what, I really want to be involved in that? I will be celebrating my 25th anniversary at Quilter this year. So, and have been in various departments, investment admin, HR, IT, and I was looking for another opportunity and just happened to see a comment pop up. And my roles in the past have always been very, the, the, most, the more recent ones, really people-focused. So around culture and communications and engagement and education, my roles were very people-focused in IT because I think we realised we need that people focus in IT and, and the same in information security. And I saw Louise's secondment when she was about to go on maternity leave advertised. And Louise and I had crossed paths quite a bit from a culture perspective because it was an area we both really interested in. So we'd been in a few forums together. So I had a chat with Louise 
I went up to London, spent a couple of days with her. We thought, okay, I've got, I can tick most of the boxes, but I couldn't tick the cyber box. But we felt I could get there with, you know, the help and support of the team. I, I had the other skills that were needed. That was a great place to start and I could build on the cyber skills from there. Yeah, so it was more of a, a kind of person interesting majoritively. Yeah. Okay, amazing. Louise, pretty much same question for you. My background in terms of my, my further education was actually in sort of art, psychology and English language before doing an arts degree. But following a series of unfortunate events, I ended up doing sort of IT help desk as a sort of an interim role. And then from there, moving into network engineering and then security engineering. However, though that was a good, solid thing to, to have on the CV, it was very much me being a squiggly peg in a very square hole. <laughs> One, I was working as a security engineer. This was uh, for a property developer. My manager had been tasked with the security awareness aspect of what we needed to do for the company at the time. This was very new. This was quite a long time ago. And he sort of looked around the team and decided that I was the one that he could trust to go out and speak to, to human beings and, and sort of have some kind of decision in how that was going to be approached. So that was my first sort of step into that. And then from there, I did my SANS course, which was like, ah, light bulb moment. These are my people. This is where I belong. This is brilliant. So exciting. So interesting. But looking around at what was available at the time, you could see sort of like how limited and ineffective a lot of the options were. So from there, I sort of, uh, you know, tried to do as best as I could for that company, working with a marketing agency to put in some human security awareness program and then moved on to Burberry to do that as a full time role. And then from there on to Quilter, where where. We started the programme from scratch. And then, as Linda said, uh, I went on maternity leave, left the programme in her capable hands. And then when I came back, sort of said, oh, Linda, would you, <laughs> this full-time work, that's that's a lark. Um, why would you, would you prefer to do a job share with me? And, and perhaps we could do the role together. And um, so we've been job sharing since then, which has been absolutely brilliant because, as she says, uh, like Linda's got this completely different background to me and lots of different skills and it, they really complement each other and I think you know we we do well together so yeah it's been brilliant and I think you know we've not really worked actually physically together that often but it's still like in the age we're in it's been brilliant to to have that as an option. Yeah it's super interesting I suppose uh, there's a question I have later but the more people I talk to the different backgrounds I get an understanding of but having two people doing kind of this this job sharing role you can almost bounce ideas off each other. It's not just one person going, okay, I think this is the right thing we should be doing. Obviously, like, you usually have people in a team or, or wherever else that you can kind of bounce your ideas off. But having two people who are thinking on the same path, but with quite differing backgrounds, could actually create a really interesting program. Yeah, exactly that. It's super interesting to see that there are a range of different job titles. And obviously, no one place has the same one as the other. Why do you think was the decision to call it security awareness and culture managers rather than, I don't know, a security awareness analyst or a security manager? Because we're seeing those roles that all do the security awareness behavior change piece. Why did Quilter think, do you think, chose that role? They didn't, is the, is the first answer. This was when I started just over four years ago. I was approached for the role and it was called um, something very different <laughs> to the point where I would never, ever have searched for that role if I had been actively looking for a job. I don't think I've ever seen this 
come up since then, but I, I believe sort of just due to the way things were done back then, it was kind of a hereditary way of doing role titles. I believe it was originally information, risk, advice, advocacy and awareness lead. <laughs> so you can imagine how big my signature would have had to been and my business cards would have been looking like a ruler. But very kindly, my um, CISO at the time uh, was open-minded enough to let me have some input on what I thought that should be. And so at that time, it was really important to me to sort of say, not only are we going to be doing awareness because, you know, this was starting from scratch, but I, the culture piece was more important to have that, that in there, sort of identified almost as an end goal. Maybe it wouldn't be the perfect title that I would choose now, but I think it, it went a long way to sort of being able to introduce what I was doing as I was setting up meetings and, and things like that coming into the company. Yeah. What would, out of interest, what would be your ideal title? If you could have I it knew now? you were going to ask me that. <laughs> I think uh, probably now I'd be looking at sort of people, security, behaviour, something, trying to get behaviours and the sort of the people aspect in there would be nice. Um, I don't know the particularly the, the succinct, articulate title that I would have for it yet, but um yeah, if I hear of one, I'm going to sort of start making notes. And I think we've said this across sort of the forums that we're in, in the, the security awareness and culture community that, you know, as you've identified, we all have very different role titles. And, you know, should we be approaching something as a standardisation in order to sort of get people into the industry and sort of be able to effectively advertise roles and things like that? But, um, yeah, I don't know if there is going to be a consensus at the moment. I know a lot of people are talking about human risk management, but... I think some industries risk means something quite different. So that might be difficult or a bit of a stumbling block there. But yeah, no, I don't know. It's um, it's good that we are sort of evolving as well, though. Yeah, so, so true. And the the whole risk thing, I think it's it's not finished yet. The podcast I recorded with, with Maddie Howard from Sage, she was saying that people who if they suddenly see they're being contacted by a human risk manager, they'd be like, oh, God, what have I done? Exactly. I, I don't know how I would feel about that. Like if I was being judged as being a human risk in any way, shape or form, it would probably cause me quite a lot of worry. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So I, I think it will certainly be interesting in some form of standardization, I think is definitely needed. Because like you say, if you're searching for a role, unless you directly read the job description or somebody gives you a bit more insight into it, you might think, mm, as you know what, you dismiss a role or you don't find a role because it's not something you're necessarily looking for and it's and it's the same when you're being approached as well by consultancies is that you know not even now because of you know keywords and things like that I get approached for security manager roles and that's that's very very different to what I'm very good at yeah for sure for sure and kind of on the on the subject of I guess buzzwords Linda I had a question and I think automation is becoming another one of those buzzwords in the industry what do you feel that automation can offer to the security awareness and kind of measuring human cyber risk sphere? Yeah, I think for us this year, there's been quite a big focus on you know, actually demonstrating what we're doing and, and having some metrics kind of back up what we're doing. And we, we have spent quite a lot of time manually trying to come up with this information. So having some, if we could actually spend that time, have automation that would actually reduce the time that we've got to spend collating those metrics would give a, would actually free us up to do what we should be doing rather than that collation, that manual collation. And it would that would sort of reduce the time, effort and the cost to let us spend more time on the human side of security. Time is the big thing there. Time is the big thing for us, yeah. Yeah. 
So, but if we if we could know what our risks are and we can improve those security behaviours, we can then coach, spend more time coaching our employees to know what to look out for and in terms to reduce the risks and the, the the incidents that we have. So, do you feel that you're at the moment you're sacrificing time to give I guess more targeted coaching to your employees versus you're, you're sacrificing that for the time you're spending together trying to understand what the risks are and get that insight yeah okay yeah Interesting. probably you know from a systems perspective and a platform perspective maybe things just don't hang together quite well enough for where we want it to be in the future and and I think that's just as our programs evolved we then start to realize we need to think about the human risks and things maybe we haven't got what necessarily we need for the future and that's, you know, if we could have that, it would give us that automation and give us that more time to, you know, to spend on the coaching of employees. Yeah, and it's so true. The, the big thing for me at Dyson was my spreadsheet, which is almost like a single source of truth for things that I thought were meaningful metrics, meaningful data points, how wrong I was. <laughs> understanding more of it now but and i said this on a um, webinar last week i don't think any of us should feel that we were doing something wrong because at the time people wanted to see how many people are clicking on phishing links how many people have completed our training and i was one of those people i was like i want everyone to have 100 percent completion rate and no click rates i don't think that's wrong i think obviously i have identified it and, and we as an industry have I've also now completely moved on from that yet nist iso they still mandate it. Uh, that meaningful metric part, Linda, I, I kind of, Louise, I, I know you you have, have something to say on this. You're obviously striving for meaningful metrics. I think we all are. But what is your idea of a meaningful metric and why are they important in a program that's aiming to influence the ABCs of security? Yeah, so I think, you know, sort of carrying on from what Linda was saying is that the automation part becomes important because we are trying to have reporting and results that are meaningful so we're trying to pull together lots of streams of information and you know to try to paint a, a much more detailed picture of what we're actually seeing instead of using you know two factors in order to extrapolate and say that this person is good or this person is bad or this person is a risk or this person is less risky which is you know it's crude at best. But what we want to do is to be able to layer a lot of different information together. So when we're talking about the human, like I suppose where we've come from is, is technology as a, an industry. So that's very binary as you put in input X, you get output Y. And that's kind of meant that, you know, we've got these very sort of black and white ways of thinking about how we, how we do stuff. And again, and you touched upon it, the regulation doesn't help with that kind of the granularity that we need. And I think, you know, that that's hopefully something that we're going to see in future is, is regulation reflects what it is that actually makes difference in human behaviour. So, you know, we start from the point of phishing, um, ethical phishing tests. What can we get out of those? Because those are kind of the more binary ways of doing things. And what we want to do is sort of build those out. So, you know, not just completion rate, not just click rates, but also, you know, the observational data that we see. We want to have ways in which we can capture self-reported data. We want feedback um, to be collated. We try to 
go out to people, get some feedback and theme it um, so that we can try to measure it. We want to be able to understand how people can articulate what it is that they find suspicious or not suspicious or what they think might have made them click at some point or, you know, in just the instance of fishing exercising. We want to be able to sort of pull all of these things together and layer them. And you, you see this happening in other industries in user behavioural analytics. We see these tools that are able to do these things. So I guess we have that, that oversight there. But because we don't have the backup of laws and regulations that say that we have to do this, it's harder to put forth the case that this is what is needed. So, you know, the, there's not so much funding available for that kind of side of things. So it's all being done manually. We're collating all this because we know it builds a better picture. And it's just trying to make sure that that story is then a richer one that's being passed up. It's being understood correctly and, you know, it's providing value. So hopefully all of those things together, you know, we can start to make educated, evidence-based extrapolations of our data to say, you know, these are the thresholds that we have. This particular cohort, their tolerance levels are this, their triggers are this. You know, we want to be able to sort of be able to, to make educated predictions in those areas. So, yeah, that would be, you know, the ideal end goal is to sort of be able to take all of those different sources, observational feedback, scenarios, exercising, things that come out of doing role play type things and put them all together to really sort of have that rich picture there. Yeah, I like that. And, and you talked, uh, the kind of point there for me was the, the layering aspect. Uh, I think we need to see more people and, and by no means do I think that we need to get rid of the compliance piece. The compliance piece is always going to be there. It's layering on top of that and how we go about it that is, that is going to yeah. be the important, the important part. The, the good thing about the, the compulsory bits at the moment is that they are more able to be automated. They're quicker. You they sort of can kind of hand parts of it off to HR and then run your parallel program that is actually going to be doing a lot of the, the important and effective stuff sort of uh, in tandem with that. Yeah, exactly. And the, the Forrester report that was released, uh, I think, last month talked about the kind of the three stages obviously sounds have their their framework but this one kind of went from a and i have it up here compliance driven security awareness and training that kind of in that category you've got e-learning kind of looking at um, metrics predominantly kind of revolving around completion rates and then minimal reporting you move into then kind of a developed security awareness and training program um, in, in human risk management which has gamification role-based and risk-specific training develop content on engaging that's experiential it's inclusive it's humorous it's fun kind of you've got communications engagement focus and then as you move towards this adaptive human protection approach you've got more advanced data analytics adaptive content effect measuring effectiveness and efficacy i think this this framework's uh, amazing like i said i think they've captured really the right things in each stage and, and i would still argue that a lot of people are in that first stage we're seeing more people move into the end the end two stages and that shift will be monumental but like we said we were having this conversation before the podcast started that this this group of people are a part of loads of different communities it's very much community driven we all share knowledge with each other we share experiences because that's the only way we're really going to move forwards and understand everyone can't have tried everything in their organization but somebody might have tried something that you're considering and they say yeah actually you know what this this is a really good idea or this didn't necessarily work or have you considered this so it, it is super important linda i i spoke 
a second ago about the fact that I'd admit that in the past I have probably had the wrong approach to how I wanted to, to look at security awareness and training and behavior change. Where do you feel we have gone wrong in security awareness up until now? What needs to change and how can we go about it? I think when I started in the role, we probably, we, we had to get a program together and it was probably a bit of a tick box exercise in some pers perspectives. We had to have a CBT, we had to have a fishing program. So we we said we've, we've got those things in place and, and that's great. But I think we touched earlier that security has been viewed as very technical in the past and, and we have the technology there to help us, you know, to a degree. But how, as threats have changed, I think... We need that. We need people to be that human firewall for us. They're, they're the ones that are going to spot what goes wrong because we do have a lot of technology in place to, to help us in, in this space. And they can and often will be our first line of defence, as we've seen on quite a few occasions at Quilter this year. There's definitely more awareness out there. Um, it's, it's fantastic. We've had people spot a number of things that have, we've managed to close down quite quickly. I, I think for us, that's meant that We've definitely seen an increased focus in our programme. There's definitely more awareness at our IT level and at our exec level. They're more interested in knowing what is going on, what we're doing. We've been to a couple of exec meetings, Louise and I, quite recently. You know, they want to understand the threats that are really up. They want to understand how we're helping our people. So I think it's great to see that that focus is, is absolutely there. You know, They want to help us increase the effectiveness and the maturity of our programme, which is which is fantastic, and move away from that tick box side of things. <laughs> so it's good to hear, and, and it, it is super important. I was talking to one of the guys in the CyberSafe team this morning, and, and they were saying how we find it amazing how still, when data is all suggesting that the biggest portion of risk from a cybersecurity perspective is still pointing towards the human side, execs, boards, they're still not quite there yet. Uh, it's, I mean, you could spend an entire podcast trying to digest it, break it down, and, it, and maybe in future it's one that we we try and speak to somebody at that level and go, okay, so where's the line of thinking? I don't necessarily think there's a right and wrong. I think there is a perfect balance to be had between them, but it's still amazing to see that some organisations, they just don't, even though that the evidence is all there around the risk, they don't necessarily dive into it in, in too much depth. Louise, we spoke about, and I spoke about at the beginning, having quite a rudimental approach to security awareness and training. Do you have any advice for someone who is, is still working somewhere that only focuses on completion data and metrics? They might be stuck in, in trying to progress forward. How could they break out of this routine, obviously without asking NIST or ISO 27001 to move along? What would your advice be? It's not going to be a case of you're going to be able to make a huge change all at once. You're still going to need to provide those figures. But I think what has been helpful for us is to build those figures out, accompany them with other things. So instead of just providing your click rate and report rates, you can sort of subtly move the picture more towards what the reporting might mean. Or we like to go back to people after an exercise to say, you know, what is your feedback? Could you tell us? 
what the red flags were that you spotted and sort of, you know, then we can add into our reporting, you know, 95% of people spotted more than one red flag when questioned out of the people that reported or, you know, provide statistics on if people report once, they're more likely to report again. Or, you know, the people that clicked, it was because it was, you know, we can see that we are more vulnerable to this particular type of exercise and therefore we need to build skills in this area and we propose to do so like this. So kind of expanding that story and trying to build out that picture and sort of really emphasizing the sort of the behavior side of things so that it's not just your work isn't just all boiled down to two numbers. We'll have those and we'll include those, but we want we don't want to do an injustice to the people in our organization by just reducing them to those two things and, and having overblown conclusions drawn from that. So anytime you can enrich that and it is going to have to be a case of introducing qualitative data maybe finding ways in which you can you can change that into statistics or um, quantitative data. Um, those are always helpful. Um, and then relating that back to risk overall, that I think goes down well, because I think it is a case of the reporting side of things is, is where you can, you can get your point across. And also you can kind of get more interest in, in more. The way we split our, our, our program is into the exercising part. So we're trying to sort of change that narrative around ethical fishing so that it is an exercise, it's skill building, it's scenarios, it's it's like you're driving lessons before you're driving test and you're driving life. We then do, you know, engagement, anything that we do that is not compulsory. If people are commenting, if people are sharing, if people are attending the, the events and the, the talks that we put on, then we can get much more feedback from sort of the conversations that are happening throughout that. Like, you know, we can see the sort of people that are interested in that and, and how that, that grows. And then the other part is the education, which is the sort of the more mandatory training side of things. And within all of those, we've tried to, you know, we have that level of trust now as a sort of a more established program that we can introduce more data around those things that gives people a much more educated way of talking about our program. So it provides value to the people that are going to report up the chain. It means that people better understand what we do and add perspective uh, in those kind of ways, if that's possible, would be a good way to start. No, that's that's great advice. I mean, I, I've asked that question on a few different ones and getting that collective information that there's still, I think, one point that rings true through them all is don't try and change everything at once start with the things you know you can you can get done and win over the right people in the business i think taking a really tailored approach to it that no business is always going to be the same so your approach might not necessarily work in somewhere um somewhere else but trying to, to collect all of those different bits of uh, nuggets of information um uh, are perfect one of my final questions i'd love to get both of your opinions on this maybe linda starting with you what are your predictions for the industry in 2023? Yeah, I would hope maybe from from a regulatory point of view, we touched on this already, that there's maybe a little bit more focus on what we could be doing rather than just the, the more the CBT side of things, the regular, you know, the, the tick box side of things. So I would hope that, that that is something that we may see in 2023 and maybe also sort of moving away from that traditional fishing platform to more, you know, of the human risk side of things. So actually giving us a bit more rich data rather than just this is the data, this, you know, fishing exercise, the data that we get from fishing exercises that we get a little bit more of 
the risks that we that are out there, the risks that our, our people are, you know, facing, and what we can do about them. I like that richer data, richer data. I'm definitely going to go and talk to Oz, <laughs> Louise. Sometimes predictions are a little bit of a hope and wish for rather than a, an actual accurate prediction based on uh, it. Christmas is coming. It, it's always Christmas. Please, could I have? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I suppose, uh, you know, similarly, you know, we all want regulation to support us a bit better so that we're not just compliance that is kind of, you know, we can we can have backup for what we're trying to do. I'm hoping that, you know, in 2023, we will never see anything spoken about weakest link ever again and but also i think looking at you know those gray areas and nuances and sort of having ways to measure and report on the more human aspects that are harder to put numbers on like the more qualitative aspects like themes being able to have have those kind of ongoing behaviors as a sort of you know in the background of our tooling so that things can be linked back to those, you know, we can we can start to maybe pull out that data a bit more. Trying to find ways of understanding culture in a hybrid working place. The way we're working is so different now. The way we are looking at our audiences is also changing, I think. We're not just targeting and tailoring according to role types. We're looking at other things like generational attitudes. We're looking at how long have you been in the workplace? Like if, if somebody, if, we, if you've got a very young workforce that have started work, basically working from home, not coming into the, into the office and things like that, how, what does that mean for how people are picking up messaging, how people are knowing how to behave as, as a, a worker, a new worker in the workforce? Those kind of splits on audience are going to be really interesting to me. And I think sort of like looking forward, how are we going to start tailoring our programs for people who have you know, always had an iPhone, who have, you know, who know how to code from school age, who have a lot more knowledge, but maybe different attitudes to privacy, uh, to maybe different attitudes towards information sharing, more conversant, perhaps in the languages that we speak in security. But how do we understand when we're, we're trying to put programs out to both very, like the Gen Z is also who are working at the same time as boomers, but like how do we do programs that are appropriate to both? So I think that would be a really interesting sort of ways in which we can make our programs better. Yeah, that hyper-personalized approach and understanding that it can't be a one-size-fits-all. No, super, super important point. To wrap up, and I've done this on a few episodes now, I'd love to know kind of what you're both currently reading, watching, if there's something that you've listened to recently that's really resonated with you that you'd like to kind of tell the listeners about Linda, perhaps you first. I think a huge chunk of my reading this year was Sans MGT433. I did the course earlier this year. So although we've got a programme set up, I think it was still really fantastic to do the course, get a great opportunity to see how it can be set up. And if, if there was any areas that we'd missed out and, or could do better. So I think that, that's been fantastic for me to, to do that, especially given that my, you know, I've only been in the security industry for three years or so and then I think the behavior models and the, the, just a lot of the information that's in there is just um, it's great we, we do use the sand site a fair amount of the time as well because the community there and you can generally find if you're looking for something information is generally somebody on there that's done something and our other communities of course as well and obviously we've been of more recent we did uh, we've been I've been listening to the science safe um, podcast so I had listened to Lance 
quite a lot this year, but <laughs> had li- listened to him again more recently. <laughs> know his voice very well now. <laughs> <laughs> the man just seems to constantly have the stuff that is there. Everybody wants to be li- hearing. I don't think he's ever said anything unuseful in his entire life. I'm sure that's probably untrue. But you're now you're now guests on the podcast yourself. So hey, dreams do come true. Louise, what about you? So for me, I mean, it's, it's, what's been brilliant, actually, there's been loads of papers and things this year that I, I've, I've got tucked away in my to read list. So there's been, I think the quality of stuff that's coming out is fantastic. But two main ones on my list at the moment um, got on my my next up to read the Inside the Nudge Unit book by David Halpin. So obviously, you know, we all know about the the original nudge. I think it's sort of like key reading for anybody entering this industry. There's all the, the classics in there, but the inside the nudge unit is, is next on my Kindle list. The other thing that I really wanted to recommend was this is one of my friends sent this to me just thinking that it would be something that it would interest me. And she was correct. A blog by a company called The Decision Lab, and they're um, an ethical applied behavioral science uh, company working out of Toronto in Canada. And they have a podcast as well. And they had written some articles on cybersecurity awareness and education and how you could use behavioral biases and knowledge of to apply those. And they've been fantastic. The the podcasts have been so good and they have such good guests on it. So Kathy, who wrote the book Weapons of Math Destruction about algorithms. I don't know if you know that one. She was on one of the podcasts talking about algorithms that rule the world and sort of the, the biases that sort of still mean that these powerful things are in charge of so much parts of our life. And it was just completely fascinating. It just made me think about data analysis quite differently. There was another one on choice architecture. So all the good stuff that we we all love to nerd out about. And uh, yeah, it's been brilliant. So I, I would highly recommend looking at the, sort of the blogs and the podcast from the Decision Lab. There's also one called Irrational Labs. And I believe it was co-founded by Dan Ariely, who you may have come across about behavioral economics anyway, but um, anything by Dan Ariely is usually good as well. I will definitely be diving into those. I've just looked up the um, the decision map and there's so much in there. Yeah, yeah really good so, quality stuff. Amazing. Linda, Louise, from me and obviously the entirety of CyberSafe, thank you so much. You've both been brilliant, super, super interesting insights. And I think the more people we talk to, it's very clear to see the stark difference between how people are going about these things, not only from obviously a job sharing perspective, which I think is super progressive. It's amazing to see and, and to see two people who are clearly they know where they're going and are really trying to change this industry, change the community, get the community to kind of in, into one place to, to try and move it forward. So, no, thank you so much. It's been really interesting having these conversations. I obviously look forward to having more conversations like this when uh, when we next meet up. Thank you, Ben. Thank you, you guys, for having the podcast. It's been really brilliant. Thank you. That's it for today's episode. If you'd like to find out more about CyberSafe and a number of the other resources that we have on offer, please head to www.cybersafe.com. I will see you next time.